Hello, everybody. This is David Goldsmith, and welcome to the Age of Infinite. We're not about to enter into the fourth industrial revolution. We're about to enter into the Age of Infinite, infinite possibilities and infinite resources. And through our podcast, we wish to show you how we can achieve this. The podcast is brought to you by the Project Moon Hut Foundation, where we look to establish a box with a roof and a door on the moon, a moon hut, H-U-T, through the accelerated development of an earth and space-based ecosystem. Then to use those endeavors, that paradigm shifting and innovations and turn them back on earth to improve how we live on earth for all species. Today, we're going to be exploring the technology required to have a thriving economy in space. Oh my God, is this exciting. We have on the line with us, we have Franklin Chang Diaz. Franklin, how are you? I'm doing fine, uh, David, it's a pleasure. I'll, I'll, let me share with you a little bit about Franklin. Franklin has been up on seven space missions and he arrived in the United States with $50 in his pocket and then went on to earn a doctorate in plasma physics and controlled fusion. Okay. <laughs> when I read that, I had to laugh. I mean, oh my God. And has been working on what's called the Vassmer engine, a means by traveling the entire solar system for years. And uh, it's just uh, amazing we've got you here today. I'm excited. Do you have a, uh, an outline or bullet points for us? Yes, I do have some, some, some bullets. I, I wrote four, so it's okay. not too many. So no, that's bullets. okay. What are they, if you can give them to me, please? Okay. The first one is uh, changing the paradigm in space propulsion. Changing the paradigm in space propulsion. Okay, number two. Number two is uh, a convergence of diverse technologies. Diverse technologies. Next. The next one is a long journey of obstacles and accomplishments. And accomplishments. And next. Last and one. then the last one is the private sector and the democratization of space. Democratization of space, it sounds exciting. Okay, let's start with number one, changing the paradigm of, uh, so where do you wanna take us? Uh, where do you wanna take me? I'm so well, excited. Yes, I mean, I, I think uh, we need to go a little back in time first to see you know, how we got to where we are. I mean, we, we are able to essentially travel in space with technology that was developed uh, probably you know, more than 100 years ago. The rocket, the, 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 the traditional chemical rocket, which in fact, maybe even thousands of years ago, the Chinese uh, you know, already had uh, gunpowder and, and um, you know, they, they had rockets. But in essence, a rocket is a, is a device that shoots uh, material out the back by essentially creating a, a burning exhaust. And the way this is done is with chemistry. You know, you have, you have combustion of a fuel and an oxidizer. It's kind of the way the, 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 
the rocket people mm -hmm. think of it, a fuel yep. and an oxidizer. And there are different kinds of fuel and oxidizers. And some, you know, the most sophisticated fuel um, uh, that we now have is hydrogen, hydrogen uh, fuel, and the, the oxidizer is oxygen. So rockets today, the, the most advanced rockets of today, use liquid hydrogen and liquid oxygen, which of course, when they combine, they produce a chemical reaction and they produce a lot of heat, a very high temperature, and the gases that ensue, um, you know, are, are, are expelled through a nozzle and, and by the principle of action and reaction, you know, you get pushed, uh, uh, you know, the other way uh, from can, the direction of the exhaust. Can I ask why, why hydrogen and oxygen today is the best it is, the, it is the propellant that can pack the most, uh, you know, punch uh, per kilogram of, 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 of propellant. So, you know, you, you, when, you, you, when you have a, a chemical reaction, the energy is stored in the, in the chemical bonds of the, of the materials that you're using. And you would like to have a fuel that has the most uh, stored energy and hydrogen happens to be the most uh, energy dense material uh, per, per, per pound um, of any material in, in, in existence. That, that's so hard for me. I'm, I'm trying to get my mind around it with all yeah. the, different, the different possible combinations. Yeah. It's almost the most simplistic. It is, it is, it's, it's amazing. It's one of the reasons you know, sort of the, to maybe even digress a little tiny bit, but I mean, we're moving into a hydrogen economy gradually, uh, replacing fossil fuels and, you know, carbon-based fuels, which do pack a lot of energy, but not the quantity that hydrogen has. The only thing that competes with hydrogen is nuclear, you know, nuclear fuels like you know, uranium and, and, and so on. But you know, we're, we're not really going on, uh, you know, we're not really talking about that. When did hydrogen, when did this type of propellant become, when did it start? Is this 1960s? Yeah, in, in, a, in, a, in a big way, it started in the 60s. Uh, you know, the, the, the Apollo uh, missions and, of course, the shuttle program and, and, and many of the really advanced rockets of the, of the Western, Western world uh, use uh, LOX and hydrogen. LOX meaning liquid oxygen and liquid hydrogen. And uh, the key on the, on the hydrogen and also on the oxygen is because you got to be able to liquefy them, you know, to, to, to make them more dense. Uh, because they're typically gases and so, you know, you, you would have to have a very high high-pressure tank, which would be too, too, too heavy. So you have to liquefy them to be able to pack them all together in, in, a, in a small volume. So, uh, so the technology of liquef liquefaction of hydrogen and, and, and oxygen is fairly new, you know, in, in sort of in historical terms. And the and, only reason, I, the reason I asked about it was because you started off, your first sentence more or less was, we've been, this is over 100 years old, and I'm thinking, <laughs> okay, wait, 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 I'm a little confused here because I thought some of the things were new, and now I understand we're going back 70 years, and we're using, yeah. 
80 yeah. years using the same technology, improved yeah. mechanisms, and, and, yeah. but the, the same construct. Yeah, the modern, the, the, the modern rocket was developed, uh, you know, in the, at the turn of the, uh, I guess, in the 1800s by, by uh, uh, Robert Goddard. And then eventually uh, that technology, uh, you know, played a major role in, in World War II, uh, kind of in a bad way, that was uh, used uh, to, to build the, uh, the, 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 the V1 and the V2 uh, rockets that uh, the Germans used to bomb uh, uh, England. And uh, the, that technology after the World War II <coughs> migrated um, uh, to the United States and also to the then, then Soviet Union. Uh, and that is the technology that got us to the moon. Yeah. Wow, it's, I didn't, I didn't realize thing. that. Yeah. But anyway, we, we've, been, we've been running on chemistry for a very long time. And um, the, the problem remains the same. You, you want to get the, that exhaust as hot as you can. Um, and, and, you know, chemistry can only take you so far. Um, the temperature of the exhaust of a typical rocket could be in a few thousand degrees. And you would like to go to um, tens of thousands of degrees or maybe even millions of degrees. In fact, it would be better to go to millions of degrees. And how, do you, how can you do that uh, without melting yeah. you know, the casing of the rocket? <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, this is a fundamental materials yeah. problem. That, that, that It was very successful except for the rocket melted. Exactly. <laughs> So, you know, obviously, you know, rocket, rocket scientists became quite aware of this uh, limitation and they've been pushing the envelope with better and better materials. But, you know, you pretty much are stuck in the, in the, in the, in the chemistry and in the materials issues. Um, okay, now fast forward a little bit to the, you know, the, the 60s and 70s. And, and the development of, of, of plasma physics and the, and, the, and the quest for controlled thermonuclear fusion. Uh, I don't know if that rings a bell, but, yeah. but in, in essence, after the war uh, and the development of the atomic bomb, you know, the, the physicists didn't stop. They kept on going. And they developed, of course, the hydrogen bomb, which, which was a, 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 um, much more powerful than the uranium or plutonium bomb, you know, the atomic bomb. Yeah. The hydrogen bomb relied on a process called fusion, um, which was the opposite of what the uh, atomic bomb uh, uh, relied on. The, the atomic bomb relied on fission, fission of uh, heavy nuclei, like, uh, you know, um, uranium, for example, plutonium, big, heavy nuclei. The fusion process uh, mimicked what was going on in the sun, the, 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 the fusing of light elements, and the lightest one was hydrogen. So the hydrogen bomb, what, the, what it was trying to do was to, to bring together uh, hydrogen uh, nuclei which are which are charged particles uh, they're, they're called protons right yeah and, and and bring them together smash them together uh, 
and we, we, of course, they don't like to, to come together because they're both <laughs> positive, so they repel each other. So you gotta smash them with a tremendous amount of force to get them to actually combine and fuse. But if you do, if you're able to do that, then um, you get a tremendous amount of energy as a result. And this is the fusion process. And this so, is the energy that goes, uh, that produces the energy of the sun. This is the process that, that, that the sun is using to produce its energy. So, so let me stop. Uh, let's go to the sun first, because you referenced it immediately when you start talking about fusion. I know that fusion happens on the sun, and you're using this word, and words mean a lot. You're using the word force. How is the sun forcing, because that's a challenging word in my mind, mm -hmm. yeah, how is yeah. it forcing them together? There's no electron collider or a, a collider. Right, 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 so right. What, is, what is, to you, what is forcing them together mean? It, it forces them together because, you know, of course, they're very hot. These particles are very hot um, and they want to fly apart, but there's so, something holding them together and that is the force of gravity. You know, the, the, the sun, because it's so huge, has a, a tremendous gravity. Oh, so and, I get, I, this is say, the gravity pull from the size of the sun itself yeah. pulls the hydrogen towards, one, towards other hydrogen molecules. Yeah, right, and in Atom, doing, uh, uh, nuclei, that's not right. Nuclei, and in doing so, by bringing them closer to the center, if you want to call it, it's, it's forcing them to bang into each other. It's forcing them to bang into each other, and they just have no place to go. Wow, so I, never, they, I never thought about it that way. Yeah. Okay. So they, they bump into each other, and, and most of them do combine and produce uh, the fusion process, which when, they, when, when hydrogen combines with other hydrogens, uh, then you get helium. You know, this is how the elements are, are kind of produced. They are building it themselves in, in these little, little building blocks, uh, which are protons and neutrons. And these things are, are kind of, you know, the building blocks of, 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 of all elements. Uh, and, and, and this is what's going on in the sun. So, so uh, maybe, I don't know if there's an answer to this. Let me try. You have the, the large mass of the sun with gravity, and I know the differential between the earth and the sun is huge, so not, that's not the construct I'm getting at. Would the molecules cl cl furthest to the outside not be as hot or not be as challenged, but the real fusion is happening closest to the core and then the heat works its way out? That's the way it works. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's exactly the way it works. Uh, it, it turns out the sun is not as, as hot on, on the surface, although it does get, for there, there's other physics going on, uh, the, what they call the sun's corona, which is the, the kind of exhaust gases that do peel off from the surface, they do become very energetic and they, they get even hotter than the, than the surface. And, you know, we, we can get into that discussion, but I mean, the, the, the bottom line is you got it right. I mean, it's the center of the sun. That's where everything happens. That's where the force of gravity is smashing these things together. And this was, um, this was called inertial confinement. 
inertial confinement? Yeah, the, the, the plasma is confined inertially, as they say. Ah, okay. By, Makes sense. This is called inertial confinement fusion. And back in the, you know, to, to get back to Earth, um, you know, back in the 60s uh, and 70s, I mean, people wanted to create a tiny sun on Earth. Well, you can't really do that because um, <laughs> we, don't, we don't have the gravity. Yeah. Uh, so what can you do? Well, in the case of the, of the hydrogen bomb, which was, was successful, they basically exploded you know, atomic bombs um, around this core of hydrogen, and the explosion uh, created an implosive force. And for a fraction of an instant, um, drove the center of this core to conditions like the sun, and that triggered the fusion reaction that then triggered the, the, the hydrogen the hydrogen explosion. So this is essentially the principle of the hydrogen. Uh, no, I, I get it. I, I remember reading long ago when I was studying or just reading, I don't as a youth, that you, you use the hydrogen, the atomic bombs, to ignite the uh, hydrogen, yeah, bomb. the hydrogen bomb. So yeah. you're you're when you think about power, <laughs> you're yeah. now I understand you're putting them around a 360 degree method yeah. uh, container, That's and you right. and you ignite them at different points throughout to create a spherical ignition. Mm -hmm. Because right, if it's right. awkward, it will throw it the wrong way. That's right. And That's simultaneously, right. they all have to go off. Right, right. And now, uh, in, 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 on Earth, um, there, were, there was two camps of physicists working on both inertial confinement and, and the other approach to, um, you know, to holding this, this very hot uh, gas, which we, 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 we happen to call it a plasma. This is what a plasma is. It's, okay. Is a, is, okay. A, is, is a gas which is so hot that is no longer composed of neutral atoms that are, you know, flying around in different directions. Uh, it is so hot that the atoms have broken up into their individual electrical charges. So what a plasma is, is essentially a soup of, of, of charged particles. Uh, protons, which are positive, and electrons, which are negative. And the, the soup contains equal numbers of, of, of protons and, 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 and electrons, so that the soup as a, as a whole is, is, is neutral. But microscopically, it is composed of all these little, little particles, and they are flying every which way. So can I take, another, us, to, can I take sure. us to science fiction for just a second? <laughs> yeah. When you hear of the plasma engine, they mm -hmm. always tend to have it blue or a color that doesn't seem <laughs> to be hot. You're saying it's always hot. Yes, plasmas, uh, you know, plasmas um, are very hot. A, a typical plasma, which we consider cold, a cold plasma, um, uh, it, it starts at about 40,000 degrees. Okay. <laughs> and, you know, so, so it's a, you, you now have graduated from chemistry and now you're into plasma physics. It's a whole nother ball game. <laughs> so, that's okay. That's, that's what I wanted. It, it just yeah. made, if you think of most movies, they have a blue floating and it's a blue. And I'm thinking, I always thought of it as something neutral. 
but now when I hear the word plasma, I will always think uh, like doing welding or whatever. You've got you've got this plasma, which is a hot substance. Yeah, the plasma welding is a little bit of a misnomer, and the way they use it is you know sounds really you know really fancy and it goes good marketing, but it is not really a plasma. It is it is a, just a hot gas. Most of the, the the material that's in the welding you know arc. Yeah, it's not it's not really truly ionized. Yeah, it's so only I, partially I, ionized. But anyway, okay. So we've got think, inertial confinement. And you said yeah, so 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 you really have two kinds of confinement. You have the inertial confinement, and the other approach is magnetic confinement. This is this is kind of what we're we're moving to in our discussion. Is the magnetic, you know, a way to hold this very hot charged soup. Uh, which is, you know, now at tens of thousands of degrees, maybe even up to millions of degrees, uh, hold it with something that doesn't melt. And that something happens to be a magnetic field. Magnetic fields can be made into different shapes. And people were talking about making magnetic bottles, magnetic containers. And um, there was a lot of work going on in magnetic confinement fusion in the 60s uh, and 70s. And this is when, when I entered the, 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 the game, I say. Um, you know, I was already um, uh, a physicist and engineer. I had come out of um, the University of Connecticut and I was interested in, in moving into, into the field of plasma physics because I figured that someday plasmas would be the, the, the propelling exhaust of rockets of the future, that we would, we would be moving away from chemical rockets and that we would be going into plasma rockets. So, so, so that is kind of where I came into, the, into, this, into this, uh, this game. Um, now, there, there is a branch of, 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 of technology that is still trying to do inertial fusion uh, <clears throat> you might be interested in this. It's, it's only yeah. a parenthetic sort of discussion here. And that is, um, there are some major experiments going on in what's called inertial confinement fusion, where they actually uh, illuminate a tiny little pellet, um, maybe a couple of millimeters in, in, in diameter, uh, of, 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 of uh, hydrogen, frozen hydrogen. And they illuminate it in all different directions with very powerful laser beams. And there is a facility at the Lawrence Livermore uh, National Laboratory, which is called the National Ignition Facility. Uh, it's a little, <laughs> yeah. a, little, a little pretentious, but anyway, uh, they, their goal is to, is to trigger microfusion bombs, you know, to demonstrate yeah. that you can you can fire lasers to these pellets and get them to ignite in a thermonuclear, you know, micro explosion that you can then capture the energy, like in an internal combustion engine, you capture the, the you know, the, the energy from, from the burning of gasoline in the, in the cylinder. And, and you can fire these pellets, you know, once every, every second or, or 10 times a second or something fast. And basically, you create an internal combustion fusion, an internal combustion fusion. How I can understand that you're using, let me get this right, we're using the laser as the atomic bomb. 
per right, se. Right, right. How, how is the confinement kept? Well, it's just a fraction of a, of a, of a, a microsecond. You know, the, the, the pellet is launched into a, 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 a spherical, you know, cavity uh, in the in this sort of fusion reactor, and the, the pellet is launched into that. And when it gets to the center, uh, you get you know 16 or 20 uh, or I don't know how many of these beams firing at the same time to converge at that central point where the pellet is. The pellet then gets ablated on the surface. You know, if you, if yep. you were looking at the pellet, is getting illuminated from all directions by this very powerful laser and the uh, surface of the pellet becomes a rocket uh, which then implodes the rest of the pellet inwards to a point where the pellet reaches thermonuclear ignition and the pellet explodes in, 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 in a sort of a tiny little fusion explosion. And because it's so small, it can be controlled as a Presumably. reaction. That's Presumably. Right. So it's, Presumably it, it can be controlled. And, and what we've been talking about is larger scale, uh, larger scale conditions of fusion, which you, it doesn't work the same way. You'd actually have to have the magnetic field or the inertial confinement. No, that's, that's right. Okay. Yep. That's right. So, you know, one of the reasons driving this uh, inertial fusion program in the United States has been the development of, uh, you know, uh, thermonuclear weapons uh, and and the fact that there is a treaty that was signed that uh, prevented people from exploding, at, uh, you know, nuclear bombs uh, in the atmosphere or in the, on the ocean or in the, in the desert. Uh, there was a, a, a nuclear ban um, a treaty that was signed, so people couldn't, could no longer test their, their, their thermonuclear weapons. So now they basically do them by trying to do it with microscopic, you know, tiny little bombs so they can figure out how to you know build build the big ones but um, right. that makes sense anyway, you can't you can't do one so you can do these micro explosions yeah. and if yeah. you can get it to work in hypo in, in you're taking hypothesis you're proving it correct and therefore yeah. if you can get a larger a larger laser with a larger yeah. pellet you now have a controlled reaction depending yeah. on the size of the confinement, so the, the casing that's around it. Yeah. Anyway, but let's move away from inertial fusion. Yep. Let's go back into magnetic, because this is where the rocket, um, you know, uh, idea began to, to emerge. So one of the problems with magnetic confinement, um, these magnetic fields, if you, if you look at the way magnetic fields are, are always, um, the, the, the way they always are in nature is that the, they're, they're, you can think of, the, of them as like bundles of, of rubber bands. Mm -hmm. You can think of you can think of, uh, of the field as a, as a bunch of rubber bands, and the plasma is like you know like jello. You know you can think of holding holding a, a, <laughs> a you know a blob of jello you know in in a bunch of rubber bands. So, Things, so you've you got know, leakage, you've got, you got challenges leakage, with control. You know, yeah. and they wiggle. You can you know, the, 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 the jello is very wiggly and the rubber bands also are wiggly. And so one of the problems they discovered early in the, in, in the quest for magnetic fusion is uh, the presence of instabilities. 
and that it was very difficult to hold the plasma long enough to, you know, to trigger fusion. The other problem that they discovered uh, was the magnetic fields uh, by nature uh, always close on themselves. So that is that they, the lines always, if you, if you think of the earth, um, north and south pole, Mm-hmm. You can imagine lines coming from the North Pole and, and closing into the South Pole, right? Yeah. You, you, right. You picture it. It's, that, the, that's, uh, it's those. Basic. It's like uh, if you were to look at it from afar, it would be looking like butterflies if yeah. you did a slice. But the reality is, it's all the way around like an apple sphere. That's that's right. Okay. And um, and so you know you, you can make a magnetic uh, container which looks essentially like a sausage, uh, something that has a, a sort of bulging in the middle and sort of ends that are, that are constricted. Uh, if you were squeezed uh, the, the, the ends of this, of this bundle of, of, of magnetic field lines, you can have a kind of a sausage type structure and inside that sausage, why well, you could put the plasma. And now the plasma will, will stay there. If you're able to control the instabilities and all of that, the plasma will stay there. The problem is that at the ends, the plasma will leak out. Mm-hmm. And this is one of the fundamental uh, impediments for magnetic fusion that they discovered early in the program. Some clever guys um, at uh, the Princeton Plasma Physics Laboratory and then at, at the Kurchatov Institute and in the, then the Soviet Union, and there was a lot of work going on, came up with something called a stellarator. Okay. And a stellarator, <laughs> I, I, you know, a stellarator is essentially a magnetic sausage that you could essentially close on itself. You could, you could think of it as a donut. You know, okay. now yeah. instead of a, a, a tube, you now have a donut, uh, which is essentially a closed enclosure. It only has a hole in the middle, in the middle, but all the lines are kind of closing on themselves. So the plasma has no place to go but around and around. Yes. And, and, and so that, that um, device um, was called a uh, stellarator. And it was, a, again, a pretentious name. Uh, stellarator ma- means um, star maker. Uh, <laughs> and they wanted, to, they wanted to reproduce the star, uh, the conditions of a star. Yeah. Well, it was easier said than done. They discovered um, this in the uh, 70s, that stellarators uh, tend to um, uh, fall apart. I mean, the plasma is like a... It wiggles too much and it's like a you know, crazy snake uh, trying to get out of this and eventually it wiggles to the point that it begins to touch the edges of the uh, container and as soon as it touches the edges of the container, um, which has to be a physical container, of course, yeah. uh, it, it, it you know, immediately um, vaporizes the walls of, <laughs> of, of the container That's not and good. it quenches and it stops and it, it just didn't work. So, so, um, so. You're probably going to answer this and you can tell me if you're going to go over it afterwards. The one question I have is that I'll tell you the question, then I'll tell you why I'm at thinking it is how do you use the energy if it's, for example, in a sausage or in the container? And the reason I asked that question is I know with the sun, you've got this 
you've got heat and you energy heat. coming off that yeah. you can you can um, capture. Yeah. Is the donut just a big heat substance? Yeah, in a way it is. Um, this donut, you can imagine this fusion reaction going on inside this donut, and then you say, well, yeah, how do you capture the energy? Uh, well, the energy comes out in the form of neutrons. Uh, it turns out that when the, the hydrogen uh, uh, nuclei you know, fuse to make helium nuclei, they don't just make helium nuclei, they also make neutrons. And the neutrons are, are, are you know, atomic particles that, um, that are neutral, of course, and they do not uh, uh, mind the presence of the magnetic field. Um, you know, they're not uh, contained by the magnetic field, so the neutrons are able to escape without any problems. And the, the <laughs> The, the, the idea was to capture these neutrons in a blanket of, um, of it turns out, uh, it was made out of lithium. Uh, this is getting very complicated. No, no, no. So, oh, <laughs> I, I've got it. I, what but you're idea, saying, what you're saying is no different than biologically when yeah. we have a concentration gradient in the body and you have sodium or water passing through a wall because the wall is impervious to certain items but is capable of being passed through by others. Yeah. Is that almost the same thing? So, as you, somehow, yeah. You've got I mean, a wall the, the, and... The, 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 neutrons, the, the neutrons go through the magnetic field, yeah. But they also you know, have to go through the walls of the container, which yeah. are made out of usually very tough materials like, you know, refractory metals, tungsten or vanadium or some exotic material, maybe even, maybe even ceramics. Um, and they also have to go through the magnet that's causing that magnetic field that you're that you're you know, yeah. <laughs> okay. so, so, so this magnet is bombarded with neutrons and you know these materials do um, get affected by the by the, these neutrons. Um, they they get activated, and pretty soon you have um, you know radioactive um, you know copper and you know radioactive uh, stainless steel, radioactive tungsten, and, and these kinds of things that are, are were problems that people yeah. had to deal. We with. don't want to have that around. No, don't bring so, it home from work. <laughs> yeah. So, but the, the, the idea was basically you capture these neutrons um, and these neutrons carry a lot of energy and you capture these neutrons in this blanket and this blanket would get hot and that uh, lithium would be able to get, uh, able to, to generate uh, steam in a steam boiler and make, uh, you know, electricity the old fashioned way by turning a turbine in a steam, uh, you know, generator. And you know, it seems amazing that they would go through this, this effort to just to boil water. You know, <laughs> it seemed to me that, that was one of the important things that came, came to my mind. But anyway, the point is that, um, that plasmas can be contained with magnetic uh, uh, bottles. Um, now, um, I saw the sausage, uh, the straight, sausage configuration in a different light. Um, I figured that, you know, uh, if the plasma leaked out, 
why that would make a pretty good rocket. Yeah. And in fact, that's exactly what it does. Um, and the other end, which is also a leakage area, um, would make a good place to put in the fuel. And so if you could feed the sausage at one end, heat uh, the plasma in the sausage um, uh, to, you know, to, to very high temperatures, um, we don't need to trigger fusion. We just need it to get it, get, it, get it really hot, millions of degrees. Then I would let it escape on the, uh, at, the, at the other end and it would make a pretty, pretty good rocket. And that essentially is what the Vasimer engine is. So you're saying that it's a multiplier of hydrogen and oxygen in terms of heat. So therefore, we're using an amplifier to go much further, much faster, much everything. Right. So what, what we need to do then is, 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 of course, make this plasma. And, you know, now we, because we're not doing chemistry anymore, I say, well, what, what, what fuel or what, we don't use fuels anymore. We use a propellant. We call it, we call it a propellant. It's, it's the working fluid that actually goes out the rocket. Yeah. And I could choose it to be, um, you know, uh, nitrogen, or I could choose it to be hydrogen or, you know, argon or krypton or, or xenon or any gas I, I wanted. Uh, I, could, I could make a plasma out of anything I wanted. So what you're saying also, in theory, is that by using different types of hydrogen or um, nitrogen, or whatever you use, propellants, propellants you yeah. can then vary the capability of the mm -hmm. engine. Yeah, yeah. In terms of exactly. how fast or... So I want to come exactly. back to that, but I want to ask inside of the sausage, what is your ex what is your device that explodes or creates? How, how do you how do you get the thing hot? Yeah, right. <laughs> it's a very good it's a very good question there, David. <laughs> how do you get the thing hot? Well, obviously we're not using chemistry. Nothing is chemically you know right. combining. So so the energy has to come from somewhere. And we don't and have gravity. No, we don't have gravity. So the energy, it has to be delivered from the outside in the form of electrical energy. It's, it's electricity. So we, 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 we really need externally uh, generated energy from a, you know, a, a power source, like a solar array, for example, um, to, to generate electricity and use that electricity to heat the plasma. Now, how do you deliver that energy to the plasma? We do it with electromagnetic waves, the same way you heat your, your cup of coffee in a microwave oven or, or your soup or whatever you want to heat. You know, when you, when you heat uh, something in a micro, microwave oven, it's almost like magic, right? I mean, you, 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 put the, you put the thing, the water, you know, the soup in, the, in a cup and you, you hit the button and and you know, 30 seconds later, uh, the soup is hot. Well, how did, how did the energy get in there? Well, it's microwaves. These are, these are wiggles of electromagnetism that are launched from uh, an antenna in, in the microwave oven. And these, these waves go through the uh, walls of the cup. You don't wanna heat the cup. You wanna heat the soup. Yeah. 
and 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 so so the 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 cup is made out of a you know, you, you don't want to put a metal cup. Well, because, okay, so you said right? it. I was not going to go there, but I'm yep. going to go there now. <laughs> Why is the microwave oven made of metal? Well, the microwave <laughs> oven. I mean, you've, you've got an, I, I, I look at the yeah. oven and I said, you're not allowed to put metal in, but the walls are made of metal. <laughs> yes, and, and, and the reason is they don't want the waves to come out and, and hit you in the head or or burn you, or uh, they want to keep those waves inside that cavity. But how does yeah. it not, how is it not bad that the chamber is made of metal? The, the chamber is mostly plastic. Uh, it's, a, it's a heavy plastic. The metals that they have are for the, the waves. Uh, there's a screen usually in the glass yeah. door that you, that you see in the, in the, in, in the oven, you see, you can see through, but there is a, there's a tiny mesh of metal, which prevents any, uh, any um, release or electromagnetic waves to, to be released. The other thing is that there is something called focusing. That is the, the waves do have a direction to them. They're launched uh. in a certain direction and they are, they're made to converge in a certain point and that point happens to be in the center of the uh, okay. So of, of, of the of the. So oven. it's not the fact that the walls could be metal; it's that the direction of the call it signal is that how you would say it? Yeah, the wave. The direction of the wave. The, the wave. The, direction the wave. of the wave is so that it doesn't ignite or doesn't engage with the walls. With it's the engaging wall. yeah. inside of in, the wheel yeah. that goes around. Right now, I got exactly. it. That yeah. makes all the sense in the yeah. world. But there are other materials. I mean, it's not just the metals. That, I mean, there's other materials that that the, these walls are made out of that that are not. That they're called transparent to electromagnetism of, of a given frequency. Not all the frequencies are the same. Yeah. Uh, and some 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 of the uh, materials are able to absorb. Some do not. So okay. I mean, there's a lot of engineering that is you know, in a microwave oven, but, but the but point not, you've, here, you've now helped, you've solved the riddle of time <laughs> is why. Because yeah. I well, still, to this day, and I don't know why, I still move my hand away from the microwave just mm. in case I won't be zapped. But now you're telling me there's a, there is an array that is set up to a point, to a focal point, the focal point and your hand is not inside. Therefore, mm -hmm. even if your hand is outside, you are not going to be the focal point of, um, a, of the of the the uh, the, um, the waves. Yeah, the waves. That makes all the sense in the world. Yeah. Now I don't. I'm not afraid. You. you yeah. You, I can sleep at night, frankly. Yeah. I appreciate it. Okay. <laughs> so, anyway, we, we yep. uh, so so there is a mechanism to deliver energy to a plasma. Pretty much the same way as we do it in the coffee or in the soup in the microwave. Yep, now I get it. Except that we don't we don't really use microwaves. And the microwaves are very tiny, uh, you know, waves. Uh, we use uh, radio waves, which are uh, much longer wavelength. Uh, but these waves uh, themselves, um, uh, what they do is that they 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 stimulate. Uh, natural wiggles in in the in the plasma, and in the, these natural wiggles uh, are called plasma waves, and these waves end up absorbing 
<clears throat> the energy that that is being launched from the uh, from the external source. So there is a there's a the technology which is called wave heating for plasmas, which uh, was very successful in the in the 70s and 80s for heating plasmas in this donut uh, shape magnetic confinement devices to, to create fusion. So we borrowed a lot of that technology. And you know, that, that's, that is the means by which we deliver the energy to the plasma. And so, so now we have essentially a, 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 you know, a blob of plasma in this sausage. And, and we really have no limit to how hot we can make it. So um, we have the sausage, we have a uh, propellant going in one side or uh, that we got propellant. Yeah, propellant yeah. in one side, we have the sausage. It's now being hit by radio waves. It is now heating up to the temperature based upon what we have put in the propellant and how hard we hit them with the radio waves. And out the other end, we get an exhaust or a, right. pro a propulsion. Right, exactly. And, and that's all there is to it. I mean, the, the stuff <laughs> is definitely gets really hot and and so it wants to escape and we uh, are you know a little clever on how we let it escape um, because you can't just let the sausage opening you know be uh, whatever it may be um, we have to shape it properly in the form of a magnetic nozzle so you can see that, um, you know, conventional rockets, um, I mean, you could make a, a rocket out of a, a balloon, right? That, yeah. uh, that you just uh, open up and it just goes, you know, it just blurts out all the, all the air, but you know, you, you, you're not controlling it. Uh, rockets, conventional rockets have nozzles and nozzles are, are constructs that um, organize the movement of the particles uh, that are in the combustion chamber and get them all moving in the same direction as much as possible. And that's why the exhaust goes at, you know, at the, the, the best possible direction out, uh, out the back. And you know, rocket nozzles have become extremely efficient and, and very, very sophisticated. Well, we do the same thing with the magnetic field. We, 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 we shape the magnetic field so as to create a magnetic nozzle and the plasma, which in, in many ways, uh, you know, behaves a, a lot like a very hot gas, you know, confined in this, in this magnetic sausage, uh, then the particles kind of align themselves um, in the direction that we want to launch them. And so they all pretty much go out um, in the direction that you want to provide rocket thrust. And this is, this is the beauty of it, that we, um, we, we create this magnetic nozzle. And so at no point does the plasma touch the casing, the, the material casing of the, of the rocket. And so we, we really have no limit to how hot uh, this plasma can be. Uh, the only limit is, is the limit of our, of our power source, um, which of course has to produce electricity. And therein lies one of the fundamental problems of electric propulsion, which is what we are part of, the family of electric rockets, is, that, is the availability of electricity in space. And um, 
and that kind of brings me to the second second uh, you know bullet, yeah. which is you know you're you're now you now had a have a concept of a sausage uh, with plasma inside and you know electromagnetic waves getting it hot and the exhaust and the magnetic nozzle and all that. Um, but how do you really build this in real life? Does, does that does, does that uh, does that make sense? No, no, I I I, com I completely understand it, and it's my mind was jumping. Someone had said to me that the Vassimer engine has been mentioned in movies, like Star Trek or Star Wars or something, as the means for going to the future. So I'm jumping to space. How do you create or how do you converge on these different technologies mm -hmm. to enable enough electricity? to ignite the and create the plasma so that we can go at the speed and distance we'd like yeah how yeah so how do so we the, do this so how do we do this so so power power let's talk about the the power the the, the electric power um we can get electricity in space um you know from the sun, obviously, we, yeah. we, we, we do that. Now, in the early days when I started to work on the Vassimer, um, you know, the electric capability of solar arrays, uh, solar panels uh, was, was very limited, very low, uh, maybe hundreds of watts. Well, that, that has changed. And uh, nowadays you can build um, solar panels in space that can give you um, power uh, of hundreds of kilowatts. Really? Yeah. And uh, now these these panels are are not small. I mean, you can look at the International Space Station. The solar panels of the International Space Station, uh, which are very old technology, uh, they they put out about a hundred kilowatts total. Uh, nowadays, we can do a lot better. We can do maybe five times better than that. So if we replaced all those panels, it would be five times more. It, it would be a lot. Yeah, it would be like if you replace them with panels of the same size. But yes, exactly. If we replace them evenly. Right. Then you, you could increase the, the, the total power of the station by maybe a factor of five. Okay. So it, it's, it's, and this technology is getting better and better. Uh, <clears throat> so... Um, so, but of course, um, you know, if we're going to go far into space and go to Mars and go to points beyond, you know, the sun is going to get uh, to be a little too dim. Right. And, that's exactly uh, what I was thinking is you, <laughs> run, you, you get too far out and you, don't, you can't reignite. I know. So, um, so, you, so you really, at some point when you start getting away from the sun, you really need to find another power source. For, for, for very powerful rockets, um, and that is nuclear power. And so this is another paradigm shift that needs to occur in, the, um, in, in space. Uh, so number one, propulsion, plasma propulsion, electric plasma propulsion, and number two, nuclear electric power. Those two pieces are are fundamental requirements if humans are to truly, you know, um, colonize uh, space in a, you know, in a, in a sustainable way. So now electricity from a nuclear reactor, um, obviously we know how to do that on Earth. 
Uh, we also know how to do it in space. We've done it before, uh, but not quite to the level of power that we would like. How much um, do we need? We, uh, for human transportation, we need um, uh, uh, tens of megawatts. <clears throat> now, tens of megawatts, it sounds like a lot, but let me give you a kind of a, some, some, something to, to kind of to relate to. Um, like a, a kilowatt is about the power of a hairdryer. Um, a, um, a, 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 say a, a, a 200 kilowatt um, uh, is what your car can produce in, in your internal combustion engine. <clears throat> the, the power of an engine in a medium-sized car is maybe, I don't know, 150 uh, horsepower or so, something like that, maybe 200 horsepower. It's a little, um, uh, see, horsepowers are usually smaller than kilowatts. So, so, so 100 kilowatts is about a, a 160 horsepower. I think, it's, I think that's about how it works. But this is the power of a car. Yeah. Uh, uh, for example, an airplane, um, a 747, has four engines. Each one of these uh, jet engines can put out 50 megawatts. So, so a 747 on takeoff is about 200 megawatts. And a nuclear submarine, uh, the, the first nuclear submarine that, that, that we deployed back in the 19, 1953, the, the Nautilus, um, uh, had a power of about 10 megawatts. I think nuclear submarines uh, today are much, much more powerful. Uh, certainly an aircraft carrier is a, a lot more powerful, uh, probably hundreds of megawatts. Uh, so, you know, these kinds of power levels are not, uh, you know, uh, out of, you know, they're not science fiction. They're things that we know how to, how to build. Now, to build them to, to go to space, that's a whole other story. And, and so, so the technology for nuclear space power is just now beginning to be uh, looked at uh, with, with, you know, with that, uh, you know, the, the deserved attention and NASA is beginning to, you know, pay more attention to nuclear power. Um, there is a lot of controversy on nuclear power for space, and there's a lot of uh, concern about proliferation and about issues of nuclear, you know, accidents and things like that. Um, in, in, you know, in my second flight into space, I, 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 I got to deploy the Galileo spacecraft, which carried on the shuttle, uh, two plutonium uh, uh, nuclear batteries for the Galileo spacecraft, which was needed, they were needed for the Galileo to, to work. Yep. Um, and there was, uh, I remember this is 1989, and there were demonstrators um, outside of Cape, Cape Canaveral who were trying to stop the launch because they, they, you know, they thought that this was going to create a nuclear catastrophe or so, so there's a lot of pushback middle, on that. In the middle of space, will a nuclear re reaction cause harm? 
No, actually, it, it turns out that the space is a lot safer to right. do nuclear power than, than, than it is than the Earth. Um, for, one, for one reason, uh, you know, mo most of the things that are in space are nuclear powered anyway. I mean, you know, everything in, in the universe is nuclear powered. Right, that, that's part. <laughs> You're living in it, right? Um, the other thing is that, um, you know, when, when you build a nuclear reactor, to power a ship, you wouldn't build the reactor uh, and then launch it into space. You would build it in sections and assemble it in a place which I, I, I think of it as a as an as a you know um, deep space um, you know. Um, you know where they they build ships. Uh, yeah, like a deep, like in the movies where you you go up to the ships being built in space and they put yeah. all the pieces together. Yeah, and then yeah. the Star Trek is uh, is yeah. launched from yeah, space. A, you don't launch it from a, Earth. It, right, it's a shipyard. Yeah, it's a shipyard. It's, it's, it's a, a space shipyard. shipyard. It's a and, space shipyard, which would be near the moon. And zero, and that's one reason that we do uh, certain type of reactions in space because with no atmosphere you don't have that cascading reaction that would happen on Earth. Well, you also, you also have the ability to, to place reactors, you know, far away from the habitat of, you know, humans, where humans will be. If you, if you are on, you know, in, a, in a, a Mars vehicle, the Mars vehicle would not be like aerodynamic or anything like that. It would be like a contraction of, tentacles and things sticking out and, and you know uh, booms and things and the reactors are are actually would would be placed uh, in in long booms far away from from the crew uh, crew module so so there's a lot of architecture flexibility that you gain by being in zero gravity and and so that that, that really changes the whole idea of uh, of, uh, of nuclear space power but for us, in our deployment of the Vasimir engine, we don't really care where the electricity comes from. I just want to make sure that this is clear, that, mm -hmm. that, that the Vasimir engine doesn't care. If the electricity is from a nuclear reactor, great. If it is from a solar array, great. We just want lots of it. You just need a power source. We just need a power source. So it could be any type of power coming in and, and ignites and um, mm, creates yeah. the plasma yes, reaction the plasma. that it works. That, that's so, right. Yeah, that's a, it's, it's um, I can't, I'm trying to think of a an, an similar analogy, yet I understand it. It's you have one tool, and as long as you can put a power source to it, you're fine. That's right. We just need the place to plug it in. That, yep. That's all. That's it. And, and the thing is that um, in our company, uh, because we're, we're, you know, we're trying to, to pay attention to, uh, to investors and all of that, I mean, you know, going to Mars is not really a good business. Uh, and, and there's nobody there. Yep. You know, so, so, so really the interesting um, realm for us is near Earth and Moon. You know the moon earth environment the mirth called, as was, we say yeah, mirth. that's right mirth. The mirth. Yes. that's right that is the interesting environment this is where we have lots of satellites and lots of you know transportation needs and then there is a there, there is a there's a demand for sustainable you know economic transportation and this is what we would provide uh with an electric uh a rocket like vasimer we would have 
essentially, you know, the diesel engine of space, we call it that. We, we enable the trucking business to, to really take off. Um, like it has on the ground, you know, you see all these 18 wheelers on all over our, right. our, our, our freeways and they're, they're enabled by diesel engines. Uh, and, and what you're proposing is, and I'm, there, there's someone that we probably both know, Dallas is his first name. I can't remember his last name. He is looking at, and there's many, uh, many other people doing this, but Dallas is one person I've spoken to. He's looking to set up, uh, he calls them nodes, but I say to them on earth, we have gas stations or petrol stations. So why do you call it a node? Why don't we call it a petrol station? And for the truckers, we have a truck stop. Truck so why stops. don't you call it a petrol stop and or uh, a um, propellant stop? And so what you're saying is within the Mirth uh, ecosystem, moon and earth, mm -hmm. that we would have uh, different types of materials that they could buy and fill up with, whether they want to be with the hydrogen or uh, whatever they would buy. They go in and they pump it in, and it would be filled up, and they go on their way. Right. Yeah. Like 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 depots. Yeah, like a depot. Yeah, like, like a depot. Yeah. yeah. And, and we would enable that uh, because now we have the trucks, and this is what what our company is trying to do is just to develop the trucking business. Uh, and and then we would have these trucks essentially operating in in space, but but the rocket is not able to lift lift itself. So so this is the plasma engines. Uh, they they are very efficient, very high performance, but they do not have the thrust sufficiently to lift off the surface of the Earth. And oh. that means that you will still need chemical rockets to get you up there. But, so you know, you, you're yeah. proposing that this is the intermediary between the the if if you had seen in the Project Moon classification system, we have one is Earth, two is atmosphere, three is low Earth orbit, four is high Earth or medium, and then five is high. The space between the atmosphere around the moon is six, seven is around the moon, and then eight is the moon. So what you're saying is more or less than six that point above atmosphere on both sides right. and low earth orbit, you yeah. can be the, this engine because other people could use the engine, this yeah. engine or this type of philosophy, uh, this type of propulsion system would be the transport structure. Exactly. Exactly. We're, we're, we're the, 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 the in between sort of the go between. We still need chemical rockets to lift off and land. But the in-between, um, it, it, this is where the, the paradigm shift will come in. Because right now, using chemical rockets to do everything is very inefficient because of, you have to carry so much fuel. Um, the chemical rocket is like a big explosion, you know, um, that, that you, you burn all this fuel and most of the rocket is fuel. And um, what pays, you know, what, what's called a payload, is a tiny little fraction of it. We often say that uh, in space nowadays, we travel in, in cannonballs. You know, this is how we, we went to the moon. This is how people are pointing out that we're gonna go to Mars that way. You know, we, we travel in cannonballs. We fire a, a, you know, a gigantic explosion 
out the back of this the rocket, but we run out of fuel within minutes. Um, and this gives, engine, this gives a sustained fuel sustained, source. Continuous. So, but you're saying that it doesn't have as much propulsion capability. It doesn't have as much thrust. Thrust. So but it has more um, fuel efficiency. So every, every ounce of propellant gives you a lot more than, than the, the, the propellant in a chemical rocket. So my, so let me try to back this up a little bit. We started off with fusion, which I consider to be extremely powerful. And you would probably agree. I'm not saying yeah. that I'm right, but I said yeah. extremely no, it's, powerful. It's, it's and, right. and what you're now saying is you're creating a version of plasma that's nowhere near the fusion of the sun or hydrogen. That is uh, correct. But it is a sustainable type of propellant or system that will allow the motion at a certain amount based upon whatever you use in the system. So yeah. my, I guess my question is, how much thrust does this give? And I'm not a thrust expert, but maybe you can lay that out for me. How much thrust would I get? Yeah, it, the, the thrust that you get depends on the power. Yeah. So the, the electric power. So the more power you have, the more thrust you, that you have. Just so to, it's just all to, predicated on the electric. It's all, it's it's a sustainable model. However, it's not powerful. The 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 so the solar arrays or whatever electrical source that's given really determines how hot and how fast and how far you can go. That's right. The thing about um, you know uh, thrust and 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 the, the you know the the way the rocket um, works is that you, you could get a big thrust that only lasts for a fraction of a second. Like, like if you say, for example, you could, uh, you know, get inside a cannon in, you know, in Europe and get, a, you know, get fired all the way to the United States. I mean, assuming that, yeah, yes. assuming that you can survive something like that. <laughs> but I mean, the, you could, you could get fired in, in a big explosion that would give you enough, uh, you know, thrust to get you all the way to the United States. And then you, you know, maybe have a parachute or something. Um, but, but, a but a rocket more or less puts the thrust on your back. That's so right. It, it keeps or, on or, going further. That's right. Or, or you could, you know, take, take a jet, yeah. take a jet engine and, you know, you, you are, you're not going as fast, you're not getting pushed as hard, but you're sustaining that, um, that push for a longer time. Same thing happens in space. In space, uh, the advantage is that nothing is slowing you down. So even a tiny amount of thrust, if you uh, continue to exert that thrust over a long period of time, over time, you overtake the big, powerful chemical rocket that, that fired you like a cannon. Um, so a chemical rocket going to, to Mars, for example, is very powerful. I mean, a chemical rocket like the uh, SLS or the, you know, the space shuttle main engines, uh, you know, these are rockets that the amount of power is, in, is measured in, in gig, gigawatts. 
I mean, this is, this is huge. It's huge power. It's like the power of a, a nuclear power plant on Earth, you know, several, several gig, gig, uh, gigawatts. But only, they only exert that power for a short amount of time. If you now have a, a, a more, um, you know, um, a, a less powerful plasma engine, but operating, you know, um, for a very long time, over time, you go faster. Uh, the typical right. chemical it's, it's rocket... An accelerated, it's an accelerated, it's a constant acceleration of your foot on the pedal. It, it, you're stepping on the gas the whole way. Right, as a continuous thrust. Right, and, well, and so you, you, you end up going faster. So, so we could uh, shorten the, the trip time to Mars by, um, say, from eight months, if we can go down to three or two months. And, you know, it's a huge difference, um, uh, even though the, the, the thrust is lower. So two things, and you can answer them in any order. One is how do you slow down in space your engine, number one. And number two would be the size of the engine to give me a feel for what, I know you have to have the big solar arrays or the energy source, so let's cut that out. Mm -hmm. But it sounds like you don't have to have a very big engine. No, the engine, the engine we have here in our facility is um, you know, about the size of an engine in a car. That's what I thought. Yeah, it's, it's not that. Uh, because we were back. talking about micro pellets before we were talking about reactions. So this reaction, yeah is in a small confined environment, you're not gonna put in so much material that you're gonna blow yourself up. So you're no. gonna control the reaction to enough to, to get the thrust that you need. So what about, right. the, what about the slowing down? Is there How a do you slowing slow down, down mechanism? Is, do we have a reverse <laughs> on this engine? <laughs> yeah, you do have a reverse. This is a very good question, David. And, and um, yeah, how do you slow down? Uh, well, it turns out that you turn around. You, you fire backwards. In other words, you, yep. you, you, you fire your rocket backwards. And um, in a way, uh, it's kind of nice because obviously if you don't do that, then you, you, you go too fast and you get to Mars, you're going way too fast and you, you, know, you, miss, you miss the planet. It's not, not, that wouldn't be. So very similar to the Apollo flights where they would fly backwards to the moon with the engine right. out the back side. Yeah. Or the now front side. Case, they were going forwards, but the engine was the other way. Yeah. That's right. But in this case, the engine is firing the whole time. So you, you, you fire the engine forward um, to go forward uh, halfway. And then when you get halfway to your journey, you, 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 start, you start slowing down and you, you, you essentially turn it around and you fire backwards. But think, think about this. This is really interesting. And that is that inside the ship, you are being accelerated all the time, both um, you know, on the way uh, as you increase your speed and also as you decrease your speed. So you are feeling inside the, inside the ship a constant acceleration. And that is called an artificial gravity. Yep, that's a, yeah. I it's a really that. nice. It's a really nice way to, um, you know, to impart artificial gravity uh, without having to spin, you know, spin the the the, the ship like other right. you know, ideas that they have. 
you know, is the gravity you get when you step on the gas. Right. You feel yourself being pushed against the back. So now you'll have some gravitational, uh, you have some gravity, a false, um, we call it. A, right. Now, it is very small. Uh, that, that I have to make that clear because the thrust is very small. The ship would probably be large. And so, you, you know, you're talking nuclear reactors generating electricity uh, at, you know, the levels of maybe, uh, you know, 40 megawatts. Uh, you know, the, the acceleration is, is very small. I mean, fractions of a, of a million, uh, of a thousands of a G. So it's not that you're going to be, uh, you're still going to be mostly floating, but not, not totally. I mean, you, you, there will be a settling, a settling effect, and 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 the uh, and the the ship inside will, will have definitely an up and down, and you know you you would be able to set things down, and 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 things will stay down. So, um, yeah. So let me just for one second just. Uh, to break for a second here is that for those listening, and I, I just learned this recently, so I'm going to clarify this. I had always thought that the rocket w from the Apollo missions went to the moon and kind of flew to the moon. But the reality is, is after they had grabbed the lander out of the Apollo, they when they pulled it out, they then flew backwards with the engine, in essence, facing the moon. Yeah. And they flew that way the entire way until they got into the moon atmosphere or, or orbit is the orbit. orbit. Yeah. 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 So just that's the reason I want to bring it up because I had never known that they couldn't see the moon as they were approaching it. They were facing the other way. So what you're now saying is the mm -hmm. opposite is you're actually going to be flying like a plane. You're going to be flying to the moon. You're going to, as you get there, you're going to then th put on your thrusters. You're going to turn around and use it as a deceleration tool. Yeah. Yeah. In the case of, of going to the moon, of course, um, you know, we, we would not be using the Vasimir as a transportation for humans because the moon is too close and you know you you wouldn't beat a chemical rocket in that race ah okay no it's too close and you don't have enough room to accelerate so you use it for packages parcels yeah, exactly. goods for, materials. For, for materials because okay. you know the, the payload the payload capability is so much higher so you know you send your your furniture you know your, right. your, your food, it's it's, it's like stuff. going by sea it's going to take a little bit longer <laughs> yeah. but you can send it cheaper and you can cheaper. send it and you can you just have to wait a few more days for it yeah. to arrive yeah okay and, and and or you send it ahead of time and then right. you you put the crew in the you know in the in the sports car and they can they can, it's a chemical dragster or something and <laughs> they can go fast but they don't have much payload they better just pack a couple of sandwiches and you know and and right and, it's just a, it's another it's another means of getting here you don't drive a, a tractor trailer you right. use a car right. there's right. We, we have right. choices of vehicles so right. we had i know we hit on to when we talked about the convergence of the technology for example the electric needed to the power generation needed and we've talked about the technologies uh, that you've gone through do you have anything to add to that or the long journey of obstacles and accomplishments well the the, conver the other piece of the convert of the technology was the superconducting magnets because these magnets okay. that we we need to 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 create this magnetic field are very powerful magnets 
And uh, people used to come to my lab back in the 80s, uh, back at MIT, and they literally would laugh. Uh, because, you know, we had magnets made out of copper, and these things were just massive, you know, extremely um, heavy, and, and they would tell me, you know, Franklin, how could you possibly think you're going to get something like that into space? And they say, well, no, we're going to use superconducting magnets. Most people didn't even know what that was. And, but that's what we are using today. Uh, so super, super explain, uh, I understand the term superconducting super, magnets super, makes super sense, but explain how it works. It, it, it's essentially, they're essentially, you know, magnets are, are, are electromagnets. So they're essentially uh, wire wraps, okay? Uh, they're, 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 they're loops of wire, right, that, that are circulating a current, and you, you, you let a current go, go around and around in, in these wires, and, 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 the, um, and that, that produces a magnetic field. The wire, of course, is not copper anymore. Uh, it used to be, and that's why they were so heavy. But the wires now are made out of exotic materials called, um, well, they have different names, uh, but one of them is uh, uh, YBCO, yttrium, barium, copper, oxide. I mean, it's just really, exotic, you know, you know, layers of, of, of very tiny, uh, you know, layers of materials that are, that are kind of built into a, a tape that, that looks like, or it has the feel of, of, of the tape of an audio cassette, um, you know, a couple of millimeters in, 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 in width and maybe, you know, uh, thousands of a millimeter, a couple thousands of a millimeter thickness. And these tapes can be wrapped or wound around in windings. And if you cool these uh, tapes uh, down to temperatures uh, of the order of uh, five degrees or 50 degrees Kelvin, that is about uh, maybe uh, 200 degrees centigrade below zero, um, the, uh, the tape loses all resistance and current can flow in these, uh, in these conductors uh, with no impediment. Uh, it's almost like perpetual motion. And these, these uh, technologies have come of age because of uh, the advent of uh, MRI machines. You know, when you go in, in yeah. a hospital and you get into an MRI machine, you're getting inside a superconducting magnet. Uh, most people don't realize that, but they're, si they're, they're kind of sitting inside a thermos bottle full of liquid helium at, uh, you know, 200 and about 268 degrees centigrade below zero. Um, if you knew that, you might not want to get in there. But anyway, um, they work very well. But anyway, we, these magnets, um, of course, are extremely compact very powerful and very lightweight. The ones we, we have now in our engine are able to, to hold um, magnetic fields that are two to three Tesla uh, with no problem. And we've been operating these magnets since 2009. So, so this you're, is a technology- you're, you're, waiting, you're waiting for the energy source and then in the means, you're waiting for Project Moon Hut. 
to get its act and get together so we we can give you this ecosystem we've been talking yeah. about so yeah. is that yeah. what you're saying is you're you telling me we've got to go faster we got to go fast uh, we have wait, uh, we have wasted uh, in my opinion 50 years since the landing on the moon uh, we have not done our homework we have uh, gone to sleep uh, on the you know the the achievements of a uh, a tremendous achievement, which was the landing on the moon. But, you know, it's time to close that chapter and move into the next chapter. And we, we, have, we have been a little slow in starting to write this when, uh, the next chapter. And I, and I know you watched the presentation, so, because we had talked about it earlier. One of the, uh, the, the next phase with the two of us is we need to go over what is the technology we're building, because you're going to see with this technology the uh, the acceleration of the Earth and space-based ecosystem in a way that is not being done or has not been done, and it will enable exactly what you're talking about. And so that's one of our conversations we need to have. Mm -hmm. When it comes to, so that's the convergent technology. Was there mm -hmm. anything else you wanted to cover on the No, list? I think that, that that's pretty much those two things. You know, electricity and the superconducting magnets. There are other pieces that... Uh, miniaturization, you know, efficiency, and lots of, lots of little pieces of, uh, of engineering. There was a lot of, uh, a lot of people who had uh, tremendous doubts about this technology and the, the ability to bring these technologies, uh, you know. But to, it's working. But it's working, yeah. It's working, so we, we have that, and all we need now is the, we need the outlet in space. We need yeah. the energy coming yeah. to space. That's so right. what about the, uh, anything to add to the long journey obstacles and accomplishments? In a way, we've we've talked about a lot of that. Yes, that's uh, why I'm we, saying, is there anything? Yeah, to add? when we started this this effort, uh, this is like now 40 years ago. Uh, it seems like a long time. Uh, there was a lot of pushback, and there were a lot of uh, people who uh, just completely did not believe that we could do this. Uh, those have become rather quiet, and uh, <laughs> you know, we we have um, we have endeavored to answer the mail. I mean, when we have criticism, uh, criticisms uh, were, you know, right and left uh, in all directions uh, in the early days. And some of this criticism was just simply, uh, you know, not well-founded. But others uh, were really uh, criticisms that needed to be addressed. And so we set out to address these criticisms and answer the mail. And there were some concerns about uh, the efficiency of the rocket that we answered those concerns. There were concerns about, uh, like I said, the technologies, the superconducting magnets, the power sources and so on. We answered those concerns. There were concerns about the, the plasma physics. We answered those concerns. Um, so, um, but, you know, along the way, uh, there has been a lot of that fight that, you know, whenever you're trying to change a paradigm, you're going to find a lot of pushback. And, <laughs> and it is something that, that you just have to realize that you have to be tough and you have to stay with it and answer the mail. And, and that's, we'll, that we'll has been on. literally Project Moon Hut the whole way. And we have now got people around the world who are saying the same thing. Yeah. We have been fighting all the way. And then someone says, like Charlie Bolden, hey, 
you know, you need to be talking uh, to Franklin. And then somebody else says, you need to be talking to this person because they're getting to see that there might be a, a new paradigm shift that's needed too. So I understand that challenge of yeah, coming up with yeah, something new. Yeah. So the, 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 the thing here is that it's not all technical. Uh, there's a lot of um, human uh, emotions and a lot of uh, issues that have to do with, uh, you know, um, um, maybe jealousies about, uh, you know, impacting other programs. And whenever, whenever you disrupt something, that means that there's somebody who's going to be uncomfortable because um, they're going to be displaced. Uh, yeah. the issues of budgets and a zero sum game where you know if you if you get funded then somebody else is going to lose their funding and you know these kinds of things are impediments that uh, are real and uh, you know it's not always just a clean uh, technical either works or it doesn't work there's a lot of the the politics that uh, is kind of peppered in there so, so let's take, we've got the, the, the long journey or the, the obstacles, we have the accomplishments. Is there anything to add to three? Because I think we should go on to the private sector and yeah, I think that's democratization the, that's the, space. the last point that, that we need to talk. And, and that is um, that, you know, the privatization uh, of space is going to be predicated on, 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 on the ability to do uh, this transportation uh, paradigm shift um, because otherwise uh, it would be too expensive and too, too, too inefficient. And so, um, and we, we will not get much further than the moon. So, um, so I think that, uh, that that is one of the most important things. But the other, the other important thing is that if you look at space now and human space in particular, um, most of the, the, the players are members of the developed nations. Uh, and and they, they're, you know, we're talking about a dozen or so nations that are, that are playing in this game. Mm -hmm. And, uh, well, we're missing about 180 nations. Mm -hmm. And they are not playing in this game. And it's not that they can't, because in order to play in space, you don't need to have a big country or a, um, you know, a lot of natural resources. Uh, what you need is, is, is just knowledge. And knowledge is something that is now much more diffuse because we have the internet. And you know, rocket science is no longer confined to you know what it used to be only the united states and the soviet union and now maybe the us and, and former soviet union and you know japan and china and some of the usual uh, you know western europe and so on um it it, it is something that can take o take off uh, all over the, the whole world and i think that needs to happen so, so are you are you telling me? I mean, Franklin, I've got to I've got to laugh because <laughs> the conversation before we started this conversation had that exact question in it for my interview tomorrow that someone was asking me. You had to have been laughing when that question came up. 
the way, well, I mean, did you get it? Did you get that <clears throat> the person was asking me, how would through Project Moon Hut people be able to participate if they come from poor or lower or they don't have the same education? You're you're yeah. bringing up the exact same question, yeah, and that's that what I'm going to be answering tomorrow because we yeah. have to have an inclusive global initiative. Yeah, I, I say, you know, if 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 we don't, then it's not worth it because space is going to be the realm of the rich and powerful. And uh, that, um, you know, I don't believe in that. That, that comes from the construct or the, the way in which you view the world. The, the challenge is not, not everyone views the world that way. And well, so the mechanism, the mechanism in place has to be able to facilitate that. Yeah, it, it, it's a mindset. I, um, I think we here in the United States are a little bit in, our, in a bit of a silo. In our, you know, we think that we are uh, the, the leaders in all of these technological uh, areas. Uh, and we, we, we may very well be, but I think leadership now needs to be earned. And, and I think that uh, other countries have, have really developed Particularly, you know, you look at India, for example, it's the second country in the world that has an orbiting spacecraft around Mars, uh, mm -hmm. next to the United States. They did this uh, launch and, 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 and mission at one-tenth of the cost of the American um, uh, spacecraft. So um, nobody, uh, very few people talk about India. Uh, we talk about China because there's a lot of animosity between the United States and China. Um, but, you know, um, somebody back in the 1990s or 1995 or so, I remember, uh, <clears throat> I was at a meeting at, the, at NASA headquarters, and um, in this meeting, uh, someone, and I'm not going to mention names, said to me, um, Franklin, what can Costa Rica possibly have to offer NASA. And, okay. and not knowing that you're Costa Rican. Well, I think, I think they knew. Oh, wow. That's even, I mean, I, I think they knew. I mean, I, that, that's, but, that's it, even, that's even worse. But you can see that, you can see that this is a very, um, it's a, it's a comment that maybe um, was not to be said. Uh, and that, um, Perhaps uh, whoever said it, um, you know, was sorry. No, I don't uh, think they were sorry. Uh, but well, I re recognized that uh, they had made a, they'd made a real. Because you know, I, I was I was flabbergasted. I mean, I just look at the person as, <laughs> I mean, you're. But it was a looking Franklin, at it, okay? Franklin. It's a belief. <laughs> it's a belief. Uh, it's a belief that they have in terms of not just Costa Rica. But they they're looking at countries. They're not looking at human beings. They're they're yeah. looking at economics, yeah. and they're not yeah. looking at capabilities. Yeah, 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 yeah. So and it, so so yeah. so that that to me um, is something that needs to change. You know, we we need to get past that and recognize that uh, you know human brains are just as capable even if they come from, you know, whatever. Yeah. It's, it's so, there's, we have internal documents for Project Moon Hut to educate the people who come on board. 
And for the past, just the two hours before I started with you, I was creating one that was based upon almost this exact same premise, almost the exact same thing we're talking about. Someone said to me, which they've said over years, it started four years ago, someone said, well, David, we know that uh, getting involved in space is all about economics, right? Meaning making money. And I said, no, it's not. Not everybody's interested in space for economics. They might be interested in the environment. They might be interested in having a better life for their kids and they lived in impoverished areas. They, there's so many different reasons. Yeah. And the, the irony is also that I put Indian on the page when I described what, what motivations are behind people because the individual had said, and then I'll cut it here, he said, see, the people who are working for NASA all left to look, work for SpaceX because they were paying more money. And I said, no, not at all. I said, the people who moved from NASA to SpaceX are possibly because they've worked for 25 years or 10 years at NASA, and they didn't feel they were going to get there. And SpaceX gives hope, excitement, and a path to space, but economics is not the reason that mm -hmm. everybody's involved in space. Yeah. And then I also included that we have to include the fact that people, for example, yeah. in India yeah. or Malaysia or Cambodia, Singapore, or, yeah. or any of these countries, they have talent. They could invent the next material to stop radiation yeah. from the, into a rocket or into a, a home in the, on the moon or any other place. So we yeah. have to think differently. So I completely concur. I completely agree with what you're saying. It's just Good. funny that it's, you're bringing it up today. Good. <laughs> well, anyway, that, that in essence is, is, is the way I see, I see things. And, you know, just to, just to, close up you know my my commentary here is that um i i have a lot of optimism um i think humans are going to do well i think we are becoming aware that the the, the planet uh needs to be cared for and you know main, maintained and and we need to pay attention to these kinds of things and that uh, ultimately um most uh, humans will be living elsewhere and, and, and the, the earth will be essentially um, a national park, essentially a, a, a protected area of, of humanity where you know, we, our descendants will come back to see where we all came from. Um, but most humans will be living elsewhere. And you know, I think this would be a nice way to, 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 to get to where you call the, uh, infinite possibilities and infinite resources because they're out there they are well franklin i've, I've this was amazing I, i've learned a tremendous amount so thank you very very well, very my, much my pleasure and for all of you who took the time out to listen to the program i'm i do hope that you learn something today that will make a difference in your life and the lives of others and again once uh, project mood hunt foundation we are looking to establish a box with a roof and a door on the moon, a moon hut. Project Moon Hut was named by a team at NASA. And we're doing that to help someone like Franklin and other guests we've had on the program through the accelerated development of an Earth and space-based ecosystem. And we're building the technology to enable everybody to be involved in all different capacities. And you can learn about that by connecting with us. And then we're going to take that paradigm shifting and those innovations and turn them back on Earth to improve how we live on Earth for all species.
So again, Frank, uh, Franklin, what would be the best single way for people to connect with you? Best way is to uh, look at our company, uh, at Astro Rocket Company. Uh, we are on Twitter. We are on uh, all the other social media. Um, but So that, that would be uh, A-D-A-S-T-R-A rocket.com. Yes, okay. uh, that's right. You okay. could, you could send an email to corporate at, at astrorocket.com. Perfect. And if you'd like to connect with me, it's david at projectmoonhut.org. You can connect with us at, at projectmoonhut or at goldsmith. You can connect to us also on LinkedIn, on Facebook, and there's an Instagram for myself, Mr. David Goldsmith. There's many ways to connect with us. I'm hoping that you reach out and want to be a part of Project Moonhut Foundation and what we're looking to achieve. So everybody, I'm David Goldsmith. And thank you for listening.